Hello, my name is Dan Hansen, and welcome to my third ever podcast, How Not to Suck at the Stocks. Disclaimers. Number one, I am not a financial expert. Not an expert of any kind, I don't believe. Uh, you're going to find absolutely zero educational content in here, absolutely zero actionable, actual financial advice. This podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. And number two, this podcast is extremely not safe for work. Okay, so now that that's out of the way, um, so I'm actually recording this on July 25th. And the reason that's important is today is the day we get our test results back from the CFA Institute. Um, that stands for Chartered Financial Analyst. It has to do with investments and things. And so I took the test uh, June 3rd. I've waited this long for my results. Um, if I pass, then I move on to level three next June. If I fail, I have to retake level two once again next June. So uh, this email is a pretty big deal. Let's just uh, let's leave it at that. So I've been pretty nervous all morning. I haven't been this nervous for a, about a test result in, uh, in quite a while. So um, let's dive into it, though. Here, so I posted these question, or I posted a question thread on the stocks subreddit of Reddit, and here's what we got. All right. So the first one comes from D Birch. He asks. Why is it that I am so easily drawn to the bright lights of meme stocks? So, you know, hopefully, uh, in particular, D. Birch is joking, but uh, in general, this is actually a huge problem, not only Reddit, but in the stock market in general. And it has to do with just how we've evolved as a species. It has to do with the herding mentality. And if you think about it, having the herding mentality has helped us as a species. I mean, it's a survival instinct. If you see a large crowd of people running for their lives screaming in a certain direction, then you probably shouldn't stop to ask questions. You should probably head off in that direction, running and screaming like everyone else. And also mimicking those around you, hurting, doing what everyone else does, you know, monkey see, monkey do. It helps you from being ostracized from a group. And of course, being ostracized from a group can have negative repercussions. It can make it harder to survive, harder to acquire food, harder to acquire a mate. And if you... There are certain social norms that if you just fly in the face of, then you're going to be ostracized. Like if you just woke up tomorrow and decided you don't want to wear pants, you just said, fuck it, not wearing pants today. Um, you're, you know, when you get to work, you're going to be fired. <laughs> you're possibly going to be arrested. If you, even if you went over to like your best friend's house, he's perhaps not going to want to ever invite you back uh, for that visual. Um, so yes, there's hurting mentality, mimicking other people keeps us uh, keeps us in line, keeps us safe for the most part. But it doesn't necessarily apply to the financial markets. In fact, when you just go along with the herd in financial markets, you tend to get screwed. Um, you know, that's how booms and busts happen. That's how bubbles form. I mean, there's multiple reasons why those form, but it's one of the reasons. So if you're investing in a stock simply because it's gone up, well, I mean, you're going to get what's coming to you. Like what... And... You're going to buy because everyone else is buying, and you're going to sell because everyone else is selling, and you're never really going to – you can't really expect above-average results with that kind of that kind of a strategy. So it has to do with uh, biology. It has to do with your instincts. So the answer is to think for yourself, use your frontal lobe, and uh, ignore your baser instincts because your baser – and I, I talk about this in episode two a little bit. Your baser instincts have not evolved to – uh, make long-term decisions. They've evolved to fight, flight, and fuck. And I highly recommend Charlie Munger's speech, The Psychology of Human Misjudgment. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, you can find that video and more on my blog, 
hansenasset.blogspot.com. Highly recommend it. All right. So thank you, D. Birch. Uh, let's get on to the next question. It comes from Avenue Blue, and he asks, should I invest my college fund in DRYS? I think it's about to go to the moon based off a post I saw on Reddit. So hopefully, you know, again, Avenue Blue is joking here. He confirms it. Uh, he posts a thread over at Penny Stocks, which is a subreddit I don't often frequent. Um, they're kind enough to offer this warning label. Penny Stocks can be extremely volatile. Please proceed at your own risk. Very, uh, very nice of them. And so basically this user, Alpha55, asked, someone explained to me very simply the dry ship slash Canali scam. And people were kind enough to respond. The top comment, which I'll read, is from ER111A. And he says, easy. They dilute the shares to the point that they drop below $1. But to stay on NASDAQ, they reverse split to get above the $1 spot and again dilute. Rinse and do it again and again. Never seen so many reverse splits in such a small time span. So very simply, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is, it is for, I mean, yeah, it is a scam. Uh, penny stocks in general prey upon noobs' baser instincts, uh, baser uh, misconceptions. The top one being is like they'll see a, a penny stock at two cents and they think, well, man, if it only goes up two cents, I'll double my money. It's only two cents. How easy is that? Well, the truth of the matter is that going from two cents to four cents is still a hundred percent gain, and it's no easier than going from two bucks to four bucks, twenty bucks to forty bucks, or two hundred bucks to four hundred bucks. You have to think in terms of percentages, not in absolute dollar terms. So, but yeah, thanks for bringing that to uh, my attention, Avenue Blue. This is a, you know, it, it is a common problem with Reddit and the stock market in general. Is noobs are drawn to these penny stocks, and uh, it's, it's unfortunate. So, thank you very much. So, okay, this is the final question, and this is going to take up the rest of the podcast. I'm going to give this one some time here. It's from Tonkafa, and he asks, if I invest in gold and then buy a gold ring and then sell my investment and return the gold ring, how much sick profit did I gain? A more serious question, how does DG look? That's the dollar general. I saw a post on stocks a couple weeks ago back saying it was recession-proof and a good choice for retail. Then he goes on to share the post, and I highly recommend you read this post. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's by a user named Dying to Be Vain. So dying underscore to underscore B underscore vain. Everything's spelled correctly, which is surprising. And uh, he gives a if every if every due diligence was like this on Reddit, Reddit would be a much better place. If every investor in the stock market gave this much thought to uh, their stock purchases, uh, you know that'd be a good thing for for everyone. So I'm not going to read the whole thing. I recommend uh, you read it. I will post it on my blog. I'm going to make a blog post called, named after the podcast, How Not to Suck at the Stocks, Question Threads. This will be on there. This is episode three, so you can read it there. But I will give you the long and the short of it. His general thesis is that Dollar General is one of the proverbial babies being thrown out with the retail sector bathwater. Um, and he builds a pretty strong case for Dollar General um, going on to say that most of their users, uh, I should really explain what Dollar General is. You shouldn't assume your audience knows. So Dollar General is an American small box chain here in America. Um, and the idea is by having smaller locations, they can be closer to their customer's house. So you can get there quickly. You can get in, you can get out. Their slogan is like save time, save money every day. And so they're actually able to sell things for cheaper 
than Walmart because um, they hold less inventory. So they'll only hold like one or two brands of the same product. So they have more pricing power over their suppliers. Um, so yeah, so they're cheaper than Walmart. And the pro- the thing about Amazon is it's, it's eating retail's lunch right now. But the idea is that, well, most, he goes on to say that 70, only 70% of Dollar General customers actually have a cell phone. Um, and so they're less likely to use Amazon is the implication there. And I think that's reasonable. And also I would say that when you're talking about small ticket items, like low margin, like, you know, soaps and party hats and shit, it's it be, it's harder to, to justify the shipping and handling on something like that, right? Because the U.S. Postal Service charges you by weight and volume, not by the value of what you're shipping. So I can see how this would be uh, insulated. This kind of business model would be insulated from Amazon. Um, and he goes on to say that whenever he does a long write-up like this, no one ever really responds. And, well, I mean, that's Reddit. It's going to kind of be the lowest common denominator. I would actually recommend you go to this, the subreddit security analysis. I think you'd be much more content there. I hope to do a podcast there soon. But uh, one sec, let me check my email. <laughs> I've been, my, my eye's been up in my little Gmail tab this whole time. Okay, still no email. Um, all right, so Dollar General. So let me just uh, really quickly kind of walk you through my thought process on Dollar General. So, and this is a similar, I use this thought process for every stock, uh, this, this structure. So the first question I always ask myself is, do I understand the business? Well, I think I do. I, I just explained it. Um, it's nothing too complicated. I think we all understand the concept of a discount retailer chain. Okay. The second question I ask myself, pardon me, is, um, is the company going to be around in 10, 20 years? This is where it gets sticky. You want to have an emphatic yes to this. You know, like, is Disney going to be around in 10 years? Yes, of course, you know. But is, uh, is Dollar General? Well, I mean, the world really doesn't need Dollar General. And there's other places like it. And so I would say no, and this is where I'd actually stop. If this was for my own personal portfolio, I would just stop and not really give it much of a second thought. Uh, I mean, it's always good to revisit your conclusions once in a while just to make sure, but I wouldn't give it much of a thought. So, but let me lead you on to the third part, like the third question I asked to kind of show you why I answered no to the second question, which was, will the company be around in 10 years? So the third question is, what competitive advantages does the company hold? And so there's four big ones. Uh, You have switching costs, you have intangible assets, you have cost leadership, and you have the network effect. So let's just go through those. Um, Are there high switching costs? Meaning, if a Dollar Tree opens up across the street from a Dollar General or opens up five minutes closer to your house, do you have any reason to stay with uh, Dollar General? No. I mean, you have no loyalty to them. There's no high switching costs. It isn't like your bank where you have all your accounts with them or um, you have a subscription to a database. And if you were to just switch to someone else, you'd have to like rip all your information out of the old database and put it in a new database. And it's just, uh, it's ripe with air. and You just wouldn't want to deal with it. So there's no high switching costs with a discount retailer. Uh, number two, is there a network effect? Meaning the more and more people that shop at or your friends or whatever that shop at, uh, I keep wanting to say like Dollar Tree, because in my mind, they're all kind of interchangeable, which is kind of the problem with this whole thing. But the Dollar General, the more and more people that shop there, does that improve the value of the proposition? No, if anything, it hurts it. The more crowded it is, like, you know, that sucks. So I really don't see, um, I mean, I could see the more locations they have and make it easier to return stuff, but I don't really see people returning shit to, uh, you know, a dollar general. So, okay, no switching costs, no uh, network effect. What about brand? 
Okay, well, or intangible assets. So that includes brand, that includes patents, that includes geographical location. So with brand, I will admit that you know a Dollar General has a, a brand name advantage over just a regular mom pa store. I will admit that. So people are more likely to go there than a mom pa store, and maybe the Dollar General can even charge more. I'll, I'll, gi- I'll give you that. The problem is, is all their competitors also have that same advantage? Like the you know the Dollar Tree or Dollar Schmuck or whatever the fuck they're competing with, they all kind of are going to have a similar brand name. I don't really know if the Dollar General can charge 10% more than the Dollar Tree. I, I don't think they can. I think those brands are somewhat interchangeable. People are just going to go to whoever's closest, whoever cheapest, cheapest, cheaperest. Uh, of course, they don't have any real patents to speak of. Um, geographical location. This one is interesting. And to give you an example, uh, up in Boston, Wisconsin, um, there's a Kmart and there's no Walmart in that town because the town just isn't big enough for the both of them. So Kmart kind of has a geographical advantage to where Walmart can't move in because the market just isn't big enough. So I could see Dollar Generals having that kind of advantage. Seventy percent of their stores are in seventy uh, percent of their stores are in population centers of under twenty thousand people, according to their ten k. Um, the problem with that, though is the, their competitors also have that advantage. So basically what I'm saying is like once one of these dollar stores moves into a town, competitors aren't going to be interested in moving into because the market's going to be too small, not enough fish in that sea. Well, like I said, that applies to, their, their, to them, but it also applies to their competitors. So you have to be careful with competitive advantages. Um, you want to see how much of a competitive advantage it is over their competitors, their direct competitors. Um, so the, not much there, I wouldn't think. And then getting to the last one, cost leadership. Like I did mention before, they can sell cheaper than uh, Walmart and probably even Amazon because they don't have to deal with shipping and handling on these uh, low-value items like, I don't know, like streamers and shitty like knockoff toys and shit, whatever they sell. Um, so cost leadership, that is an advantage. That's a, good, uh, that's a good competitive advantage to have. But again, the problem is their competitors are going to have like the, you know, the Dollar Tree and whoever else, these other dollar stores, are going to have that same kind of advantage. And before I read the 10K, I would have thought that Walmart could just move into that kind of uh, space and compete. Well, apparently they tried that with Walmart Express, and apparently it failed because the Dollar General bought up a bunch of those locations. Um, so that's, you know, that's uh, throwing a bone to, uh, to Dollar General there. So just a quick recap. Do I understand the business? Sure. Is it going to be around in 10 years? I don't think so. Does it have any strong competitive advantages? I'm going to say no. I could be wrong. I only read their 10K uh, once. I haven't given it you know, much more thought than that. Um, but I'm going to say no. And then really quickly, uh, just looking at the balance sheet, um, I just like to, to calculate the enterprise value just to kind of you know, give a ballpark of what the company's worth. And so the way you do that is you take the number of shares. You can find that on the most recent uh, filing, so on the 10Q, on the first page. And you multiply that by the current share price. So I put 71.98. That's where it was this morning. If it's changed, it's not that big of a deal. I'm sure it hasn't changed dramatically in the last couple hours. And um, that gives you your market cap. You know, shares times price is market cap. But then to get to enterprise value, you want to deduct cash, which they have a negligible cash. And you want to add debt, which they actually have a shit ton of debt. So the market cap is call it twenty billion, and then they have thirteen billion in debt. 
making their enterprise value $33 billion. So for a, a, a company with a market cap of $20 billion, $13 billion in debt, um, that in and of itself doesn't make it a bad company. Uh, you might be wondering where I'm getting all this debt from. If you're just looking up this company on Yahoo Finance, you're not going to see it. Most of it is off the balance sheet. So if you go to the most recent 10K on page 34, I believe it was. Hopefully I'm not that wrong about that. But they show all their off-balance sheet obligations, and it adds up to $13 billion. Uh, things like leases, operating leases, companies are allowed to kind of keep off the balance sheet, and so it can really fuck up your uh, debt ratios and everything. And so that's something I'd be concerned about, is the company having that much debt. Um, like I said, I haven't given it that much thought, but... Think about that. If you had been thinking the company was worth $20 billion, well, it's, they're really being valued at 33 So if you thought it was a good deal at 20 you may not think it's a good deal at 33 I'm not going to go into whether or not it's uh, overvalued or undervalued. I don't know enough to really speak on that. My general impression is that it would be overvalued just from the standpoint that I don't think there's really anything proprietary about this. I think anyone... Uh, can do this. Apparently not. Walmart couldn't do it. So maybe there's something I don't see here yet. Um, I do have to admit their margins are better than I thought uh, their margins would be for, you know, a discount retailer. Um, they're only in 44 states. I actually had to figure out which states they're not in. They're in, they're not in Idaho, Montana, Washington, Wyoming. So that's the American Northwest for the geographically channeled challenged and uh they're also not in alaska and hawaii so they do have some room to grow as far as geography is concerned and then uh he uh dying to be vain um he brought up that they plan to i think double their store count in 10 years i believe is what he said so all right that's the long and the short of it that's kind of my thought process on the company i uh, highly recommend you read uh, his posts, like I said, you can find those either by searching for his name on Reddit, that's dying underscore two underscore B underscore vein, or you can find it on my blog. Once again, that's hansonasset.blogspot.com. There's going to be a post called how, how Not to Suck at the Stocks Questions Thread. That's going to be episode three. Uh, let me check my email one last time. And we still got Buckus. All right. All right, everyone. Thank you very much for listening and have a great day. Till next time. Peace.